Good morning, everyone. I hope everybody got a chance to go uh, see some of the keynote this morning, uh, hear about some of the very exciting things that uh, AWS is launching in the compute space and data analytics space and artificial intelligence. Uh, it's uh, kind of an overwhelming amount of, uh, amount of launches, so uh, take a few days to kind of digest and uh, figure out how you're going to uh, start to apply some of those launches. Um, I'm really excited uh, that everybody came this morning to hear us talk about uh, about uh, higher education and how higher education is using uh, Amazon Workspaces. So uh, I'm joined by a couple of people on stage with me today. Uh, we've got uh, Greg Smith uh, from University of Maryland uh, University College, uh, and we've got Peter Zielinski, uh who's going to uh, be speaking a little about, about George Washington University School of Business. Um, so uh, we really wanted to kind of take some time and describe a little bit about how higher education uh, is providing innovative desktop solutions to faculty and staff uh, who need access to applications and information from around the globe uh, in a very evolving and rapidly changing desktop environment. Uh, ultimately, you're going to see how these guys are using Amazon Workspaces to build solutions to meet those needs. So uh, if we'll uh, uh, go ahead and have a seat, guys, and we'll get started here for uh, a few minutes. I'm going to give a little bit of an overview uh, of Amazon Workspaces to get started with uh, for anybody who doesn't have kind of context on, uh, on what we're doing. Uh, and then we'll uh, get a chance to hear about the solutions. And then after that, uh, we'll have a chance to uh, kind of have a discussion with these guys. And uh, uh, I'll ask some questions and then uh, have the opportunity for everyone in the audience to ask some questions. So our goal when we launched uh, Amazon Workspaces was to provide a desktop environment uh, that was available in the cloud that felt very fast and fluid and very native and very much the same as using a regular desktop to the end user who was interacting with that desktop. When you launch an Amazon Workspace, we're launching a full virtual machine so you get fast, consistent performance over time. It should always feel like you're running on a native machine, no matter if we've launched one or if we launched 10,000 of those workspaces. We also wanted to make sure that experience was available globally. So wherever you are, you can get access to an Amazon Workspace that has that performance characteristic. So today, we support Amazon Workspaces in seven regions uh, in, uh, uh, across the globe, uh, giving that access globally and that high performance globally. At the same time, we wanted to support you connecting from whatever device type you had at your disposal. So uh, that has meant for us supporting uh, Macs, uh, PCs, iOS devices like iPads, uh, Android devices, mobile devices, uh, also zero client and thin client solutions. Uh, and then just a, a couple of weeks ago, we announced support for web browsers. So we added support to connect to your workspace from Chrome uh, and from Firefox. As with any AWS product, uh, the uh, goal with Amazon Workspaces is to have it be pay as you go. So that is you only pay for what you use while you're using it. So you spin up the number of uh, workspaces you need. When you stop needing them, you shut them down and you stop paying for them. We wanted that to be at a price point that was very compelling. Uh, so the Amazon Workspaces product is available in a couple of different models. Uh, there's a monthly uh, billing model and there's an hourly billing model we launched a couple of months ago now. The hourly product starts at a minimum of $8 a month when you look at typical usage, and then we scale up from there. So uh, designed to really be a cost-effective uh, option for people who need to uh, have a solution quickly. Those fees include all of the components you need for the desktop to work. 
so uh, it includes uh, the running instance itself. It includes all of the storage, so the C drive and the D drive, the EBS volumes for that. Uh, it also includes backups that we do to S3 uh, to ensure that you have uh, your data in case of some sort of disaster. Uh, and it also includes all of the streaming, so all of the streaming coming out of the workspace is uh, not billed uh, as network traffic. As we launched Amazon Workspaces, it became clear for us that for our desktop to be useful for IT administrators, it had to not require them to make massive changes in the way that they administer desktops today. So it needed to integrate with their own existing methodology and tools for uh, uh, administering and launching and maintaining desktops. Effectively, we needed to have it be a hybrid IT solution so that you could have a hybrid of your on-premises mechanisms for managing desktops, for managing your cloud desktops. So to do that, uh, we've had a couple of, uh, of key integration points. First off, on identity, uh, we support uh, Active Directory integration. So when you launch an Amazon Workspace, it is just an Active Directory domain-joined instance, uh, which means it shows up and uses all of the existing mechanisms that you have for administering desktops. That means for identity, you're using your AD passwords, AD username to log into that. Uh, it also means that all of the tools you have on premises like SCCM or group policy all just apply directly. It's just a standard Windows desktop. In addition to that, uh, we wanted to use your existing mechanisms for authentication. So uh, if you're using Radius uh, for multi-factor authentication to add an extra layer of security for access, uh, we support that as part of Amazon Workspaces. So you can integrate existing MFA solution just directly into the Amazon Workspaces environment. Now, that all being said, uh, what we found as we've uh, worked with partners uh, like, uh, like Greg and Peter is that everybody has their own mechanisms for doing these things, uh, and it's pretty tough to predict what those are going to actually be in practice. Uh, so one of the core attributes of this is that we really want to have customers driving innovation on top of Amazon Workspaces. So we publish APIs uh, that give information uh, and controls and capabilities to uh, our customers, and they can build solutions on top of Amazon Workspaces. So uh, in part, of course, it's a fully managed desktop service, but in part, it's also a set of building blocks uh, that our customers are using to build solutions inside of their environments. So and I think you're going to be pretty impressed when you see what these guys have done with that capability. Now, that's a little bit of background about Amazon Workspaces in general, um, but we've also really begun to dive in deeply with uh, uh, partners uh, who in the education space, and we begin to learn a little bit more about what's going on in the education space that is uniquely uh, addressed by Amazon Workspaces. So uh, one of the uh, top things we see is that there's really a merging of the different categories of student. So uh, the difference between somebody who's a traditional learner in a classroom or in a lab or on campus uh, and somebody who's a remote learner who's doing online training or who's doing online classwork is, is kind of uh, fading away. So they've got very similar needs, very similar attributes these days. So a broad diversity of, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, needs across those different environments. So. Uh, at the same time, uh, those students are bringing with them an incredible level of existing IT infrastructure that they own and maintain. So they all have their own uh, uh, high-speed access uh, from home. They've got Wi-Fi. They've got LTE and, and 4G connectivity from mobile devices. Uh, frequently, they have multiple different devices that they own. They've got phones. They've got tablets. They've got laptops. They've got desktops. Uh, they've got web browsers of various kinds and Chromebooks. And so 
there's this uh, huge opportunity to uh, advance the uh, options for people to get to their workspaces and get to the environments uh, through using those mechanisms and those things that the students are bringing to the table. But at the same time, there's some risk there. There's some concern because now you have a broad proliferation of endpoints that you have to support. So the security surface area is exploding a little bit. There's a lot of different ways that uh, students can do things that you don't necessarily want them to do. I'm sure these guys have horror stories uh, at various levels. Uh, and uh, so there's a, a lot of risk to be considered there. But at the same time, you can't have that be a reason not to give them access to the applications that they need to get their learning done. And so you want to have that application uh, that's available on a desktop be something that they can get to without necessarily exposing yourself to some of that risk. So from the workspaces perspective, we feel like we've got a couple of key attributes that really address these concerns. Uh, so uh, first off, of course, uh, is uh, we really wanted to have something that was mobile by design. Uh, so we want to have uh, a mechanism for uh, folks to get to their workspace from any device, and I think we've really addressed that we've uh, done that already. Uh, whether that's uh, in a particular region uh, in the U.S. or whether that's globally, you always have that access and capability. Uh, at the same time, we wanted to make sure that uh, we can address that need for them to do that from the device of their choice. So we have a uh, sort of bring-your-own-device uh, mentality, which is that uh, the students uh, have the option to use workspaces on their own devices, uh, and then that becomes their personal sphere and where they're interacting, and then the uh, workspace becomes the environment where they're really interacting uh, with the uh, learning environment. From a security perspective, uh, there's none of the data going onto that local device. Uh, there's nothing that's, uh, whether that's uh, intellectual property or whether that's applications, uh, they're uh, completely segmented uh, from that perspective. So the local device is not part of that kind of network environment where all of the assets for uh, universities exist. And then, of course, uh, uh, the real goal here is to be able to get access to those applications, and it's a very nice story for the content developers and for the universities and educators. All of the existing applications you have that run on Windows are going to run on the workspaces environment. So now, in effect, what you've done is you've solved this challenge of how do I take all of my apps that are desktop-enabled and make them available uh, without having to go through some of the uh, heavy lifting involved in moving to SaaS models or uh, having to web-enable all of that content. And so in this world, you get to use those applications uh, that may be real-world applications uh, that uh, students need to get hands-on uh, time with through the workspace uh, and save some of that challenge. And of course, uh, for those of you who didn't see, yesterday we announced support for Windows 10. Uh, so now that application set uh, is much broader. So Windows 7 uh, and Windows 10 applications uh, will run fine on top of Amazon Workspaces. All right. <laughs> That's the uh, quick marketing spiel done. Uh, and I wanted to give an introduction to uh, Greg Smith uh, from University of Maryland uh, University College. Uh, and he's going to talk a little bit about some of the solutions they're building on top of Amazon Workspaces. Thank you, Nathan. Um, before we get into uh, this just a little bit, I want to give you history or a quick snapshot of what UMUC is. Because when everybody hears University of Maryland, they think go Terps. Um, we're not that campus. Uh, we're one of the campuses is part of the Maryland system, but we're primarily distance education. Our students are all over the world. As it says, we have 84,000 students with 95 different degree programs. Our students could be sitting at the Starbucks around the corner or downrange in a tent in Afghanistan, and we're providing, we're providing educational content to them for their retooling or their degree-seeking program 
So we have some challenges that I think the traditional college campuses don't necessarily have. So as we keep that in mind, we have four different use cases that we're using uh, at University of Maryland, and we'll talk specifically about one of them. Um, but I want to also mention that our IT staff are using workspaces as kind of a platform into the rest of the restricted network. So we're kind of keeping their, their local devices out of the mix. Um, contractors and consultants, as opposed to giving them laptops or scrambling Monday morning when they show up and you didn't know that they were coming, um, were able to provision a workspace with the applications that they would need um, within a matter of minutes. Um, and then we have approximately 250 sites all around the world um, that have um, various levels of testing center and computer labs av uh, available to them. We're currently testing um, zero footprint devices in these locations running uh, workspaces. So as we look to um, you know, reduce costs and maintenance and overhead, um, because some of, these some of these 250 locations are literally on base in Afghanistan that we don't have a whole lot of access to um, for managing the systems, this is, this is one of our use cases. One that I'll talk about a little bit uh, more in depth is Project Triton, which is our foray into the classroom um, for all students. Um, this was born from a, an RFP, uh, a failed RFP. <laughs> we brought in 11 or so vendors from you know, all the big players, all of, you know, the, when you think of the VDI services, you would think these folks um, would be at the table. They were. Um, none of them got it. None of them understood. Um, and I glibly sent a text message to my boss during one of these sessions saying, I can do it better. And he responded, prove it. And so I'm here today. Um, and um, we went off and we realized that we needed to get some help from Amazon in terms of prioritizing uh, roadmap. And, you know, you know, when a school approaches you and says, hey, we really love your product, but we need you to completely shuffle around some stuff that you're doing to accommodate us. Um, there was some, uh, you know, skepticism, but willingness to work with us to uh, kind of get that done. And, and some of the things that we needed to be able to do was SSO integrate into our classroom. So we wanted to make sure that this was an experience for our students that was not an add-on, that this was part of what they were doing and part of the interactions that they were having um, in the learning process. So they didn't have seven different passwords to remember, like the existing or the incumbent vendor that we were dealing with because they couldn't tie to our directory system and they couldn't tie to the resources that we had on campus. So there were no less than seven different passwords our cybersecurity students needed to use to access this resource. That was unacceptable for us. Um, we needed to be able to have this all available via the web, um, which you know, was announced uh, in no November 18th, I think was the official announcement. We had been working with uh, Nathan's team uh, to uh, provide this to our students for, for a couple months before that. And then we needed the auto stop model, the, the billing per, per hour, to really be able to support the scale that we were looking at. And so after you know, much work between the teams and, and uh, some you know, trips out for one of our uh, lead solutions folks to Seattle to sit with uh, the engineers of the Workspaces team, we launched this, this offering to our students in about three months. So we were able to create working with Amazon, create the SSO integration, be able to access these other resources, and they were able to prioritize and help us get this ready um, in about three months. Um, one of the other things it does for our students is that we're now able to understand how they learn through the learner analytics that we're collecting through uh, things like Liquidware Labs, Stratosphere product, 
um, and some of the other uh, information we're gathering through Xenos and whatnot. So we're able to provide this information to our learning teams to refactor the experiences that our students are doing or the projects or the labs that they're doing in our environment. Because we're not in the business of failing students. We're in the business of educating students. And so what we want to do is make sure they're successful in doing that. And if we can understand patterns of the successful student, that helps our population in general. We're at 3,200 users today um, who are actively using the platform. So we went from zero to 3,200 users in three months um, on the platform. So it was quite, <laughs> quite the ramp. Um, we'll be a little over 7,000 students um, using our platform when the semester starts up in January. Um, in the first two months of activity, um, we had 160,000 hours of usage from our students. From 3,200 students, we had 160,000 hours of usage with 30 support tickets. And so to put some context in that, um, that is approximately four times as much usage and 35% fewer support tickets than the incumbent vendor or the vendor that was providing services in our, in our environment today. Um, some feedback that we've gotten from our faculty and our, and our, um, and our staff, I'm sorry, I'm a slide behind here, is that um, we have had a material impact on the way that our students are learning. So to hear that, to hear that this technology that we're adding into our classroom is making students and helping students learn better and differently is fantastic. So I'm not one that learned the traditional model in a classroom. I need to hands-on, touch, manipulate, and work with it. And that's what Workspace has allowed us to do. Um, and the faculty have called the experience transformational, transformational and fantastic. You know, we had a traditional VDA vendor that was not able to scale for us. This project was stood up, developed uh, uh, by an independent team that acted as a startup within the organization. So we went out and hired 10 people to do this, and we got that done uh, in about three months. So uh, with that, I will turn it over to Peter at George Washington University. Hello, uh, so I'm um, I work at the business school at George Washington University, and I think this presentation is a great, uh, great selection of the uh, of two of us because we are, in a sense, the opposite of what uh, UMUC uh, is doing. And we don't have a big IT team. We don't have a lot of resources that we can dedicate for um, to support our students, and uh, we uh, we are not centralized IT for those who are not in the higher education. Um, so just a quick uh, background. In the, there are two different types of uh, IT support teams at universities. There is central IT, and in the small in the schools there are usually smaller teams. So we are the small team in the school of business. We have a huge central IT uh, team. Um, that provides central, central services. So, so we are kind of on the other spectrum, and this is one of the reasons we, uh, we like to, uh, <coughs> to engage with, uh, with AWS, because we are small, but we feel that we are important. So um, um, we, um, we provide our services uh, to 
3,600 uh, students and 130 faculty and uh, oops. Oh, okay, and 200 staff uh, um, members. And uh, just as, as, a, as a, when, I, when I was preparing for this presentation, I was like, I would pick one reasons why we work with workspaces. So um, frequently when uh, colleges and schools, they plan to expand, they think in terms of uh, on the academic side they want they, they uh, nowadays especially they they have plans you know go to open uh, programs overseas you know have international programs distance learning programs and not that many not that many uh, oops I'm one slide behind so um, I'm sorry I got uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, why administrators and uh, deans are busy um, planning and the faculty planning uh, the academic side? None, none of them really thinks that much about how we're going to support uh, those programs. So, um, we have a very interesting case not from not that time ago when we uh, we. Um, we have a distance learning program, uh, and one student from Kansas calls, and he says, I, there is an assignment that I'm supposed to do, and there is the software that you use, like, but I don't have the software, and it's kind of expensive to buy it, so how am I supposed to do it? And the answer was like, why don't you come to our lab and do it? And he's like, but I'm in Kansas. Like, okay, that's a problem. So it turned out that the faculty was teaching that particular class, didn't think about like how the students were about to access the software because the software was always on campus when the program expanded to a distance learning module then we, we had this gap so uh, from the from the growth perspective uh, we we, uh, we we needed a solution that will allow us to provide those uh, support to distance learning students and um, also we have um, we have uh, uh, several computer labs that are, as you know, all computer labs at some point have to be replaced, and uh, and we uh, we are located in Washington D.C. To build a new building is extremely expensive. We we reach the almost the full capacity of, of our of our building, and the, the, the so the space is a very valuable and uh, there are plans to convert those computer labs to classrooms and so 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 th there was the idea that we then we move uh, all the computers to some kind of virtual lab and then as Craig mentioned there are a lot of solutions that probably work well in the in the private sector or even public sector but educational space is very unique and um, it is very it would be probably very rare to find find a company that that is that is driven by so many different conflicting requirements. So, um, as as you know, in higher education, faculty are most important people. They drive the, the, the all the decisions. So um, we we try to support them. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so I mentioned that we have uh, <clears throat> a couple of uh, labs we are, uh, that we, uh, we decided, a couple of classes that we decided to support in, in a different way. So uh, at this moment we have 130 uh, workspaces. There are eight classes that um, actively use workspaces. We have six faculty members that we selected to, uh, for this pilot. And, uh, and we, we drew significantly uh, without any advertisement. So that was kind of a, a student-driven uh, process. We, we opened um, this, um, we opened this option to students and faculty, but we didn't, we didn't say, okay, look, so you have to use this. No, we just said like this is an, 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 an as a, as an option for you, and then student student loved it. So, um, so we grew very fast. Um, so, and the, so far, the pro, this pilot was very successful. So, we are planning to do, to open it for the you know all faculty in the spring, and obviously we'll have this whole marketing campaign, so everybody will know about it. Um, because we are small, and uh, we we have to work with central uh, team. Um, Initially, we, we didn't want to uh, use the, our enterprise active directory because the integration piece with the central IT would probably took a year or so. So, um, so we use the simple AD and um, we will we'll eventually integrate with um, our enterprise active directory, but, but to kind of speed up the process, we use the, what AWS offers. Okay, so um, I'm doing with time. Is it okay? Okay. So I want also to show you kind of three different perspectives uh, with um, Amazon Workspaces. So from the from the faculty perspective, this is what makes I think the, this service great. We don't necessarily do it for our faculty. That's, that, was, that is the kind of traditional approach. But with workspaces, what we allowed faculty to decide how they want to do it, and that allows them to keep the, the unified learning experience, teaching experience. So the way we do it, we basically give a faculty access to the workspace. And we, say, and we ask them, okay, you install the application, the way you want it, and you configure it the way you want it, and then you test it with your uh, data sets, or if this is a statics application, or you basically, you tell us if, if it's working for you or not. Once this is done, we capture this um, um, workspace, and we uh, provision to all the students that are in, in the, that class or that require to access to it. So this way, we eliminate this constant problem that something is not working and we don't know how to fix it, we don't know how to, how to support it. And frequently with um, um, a unique applications, that's the case. When we, we install it and we think it's working, but then we get a call and, from the faculty that's like, oh, this feature doesn't work and we don't even know what to do after we launch the application, right? So, or there is the, or the faculty uses a data set that produces an error and we never have access to data set in the first place, so we don't even have the ability to test it. 
So this is great uh, that that uh, that workspaces allow us to work from the completely different perspective than uh, than the traditional VDI, where you create a gold image and you provision. There is no um, there's no really a setup time. Uh, though at least the way we use it is just so quick that if a faculty comes to me and says, I need this application for the class that is in 30 minutes, I can do it. It's, it's that fast. Because the, obviously depending on the complexity of the application, but assuming this is something simple to install but highly custom, highly unique, uh, then the speed is the, the speed is is fantastic with workspaces. Um, uh, it's very easy to access uh, students. Um, um, okay, or maybe uh, well, we talk about students in a second. So it's um, easy user management because we, uh, we most of the time m most of the time we provision the, those workspaces that are customized for their needs. For the, for the entire class, so um, and and also the faculty have the uh, easy support because they prepare that image, they prepare that application, they know it the best. We don't have to engage with this difficult conversations where we say, look, we think it's working, and we, and we don't know how to fix it, right? So 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 faculty are the, now the first line of support, which works for both of us. Um, from the student perspective, they have the unified learning experience because everybody has access to the same thing. There is no setup time. You, uh, what, in a few slides, I will show you how we do it for uh, statistical applications that are work on Macs. And um, so that will more speak about uh, why, there, why, why it's so easy to access it. Um, there's data security. Okay. And, uh, and we use uh, on um, Amazon WorkDocs um, that are integrated with workspaces for the document management. From the IT perspective, like I mentioned, it's very easy uh, to support it because we, don't, because we don't do that much. A lot of work is done by faculty. It's very easy to provision and maintenance those uh, images. We can uh, we can constantly up, uh, update them and uh, re-provision re uh, so students um, don't really have the downtime. And um, um, workspaces also have this great mode uh, that uh, that allows to um, stop uh, the running. Um, instance when you don't use it. So it's very popular uh, because most students, don't, they are not like incorporate work. They don't work from nine to five. They do their assignments only certain times of week. Uh, they work heavily before the finals. They work on the workspaces before the due dates for the assignments. And we don't pay for all the time that the workspaces uh, Otherwise, would be you know running idle. We can create, we can use a lot of, uh, we can run the dedicated reports. And the last slide I wanted to show you is 
the, the most use case, the most use case for at least um, in uh, business schools is the support for applications that they don't natively run on uh, Windows, um, on Macs. So Windows applications that they run on. Um, we have frequently uh, a problem with uh, students who come to us and say, look, we were supposed to install this application, for example, Jump, that there, um, or um, SPSS, or um, um, a Microsoft project. A Microsoft project is, 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 is the best, probably, example. And the faculty told us that there is a way to install this application on uh, our Mac. Only we have to use, uh, install Windows, then, in, then config, first configure the Mac to install Windows, then install uh, this application. We don't know how to do it. It takes uh, you know, six hours, and they fail frequently, and then it's very difficult to support a large number of students. So we use workspaces for that, and the provisioning of that desktop is just a matter of seconds. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. So um, hopefully, I think that's very interesting, the differences here, as we, we kind of talked about before. You've got uh, a lot of different approaches. This is why we provide uh, APIs. We provide the mechanisms for scaling up, scaling down, managing, and getting uh, metrics and data. Um, you know, very different approaches here uh, around, uh, in Greg's case, packaging uh, workspaces up in a web application effectively to allow access to a broad range of students around the globe. And in Peter's case, uh, making it available as a, a sort of lab replacement on a smaller scale basis where the, uh, where the uh, faculty and staff directly are making a lot of the decisions about what goes into that content. That kind of diversity of use case is really what we want to support from the workspaces side. So uh, I wanted to transition. We've got about uh, 25 minutes left uh, and wanted to talk about, uh, kind of give some questions to these guys uh, and uh, have some uh, feedback from them uh, a little more candidly as well. And then we're going to have a chance for uh, questions from the audience as well. Uh, what we'd ask is uh, when we get to that, uh, there's a microphone up here at the front. If you can just come up to the microphone just so everybody can hear you. Uh, and uh, that way we can get the questions that way. Uh, so I wanted to start. Uh, guys, and, and uh, get uh, as a first question, uh, we hear a lot in the education space that there's kind of some differences on the budgeting process uh, versus some of the uh, traditional IT space and corporate world. Uh, how does workspaces fit inside of that? Uh, so, Greg, is there you know any kind of difference for you, uh, you know, capital expenditure versus opex, and kind of how does that play? So for us, this was really about tying it to our student experience and the the ideal was creating this OPEX flexible expense that we could we could do, um, which is what we were planning on doing in the RFP session as well. Um, but the way we funded this was through a um, business plan that uh, I wrote and proposed to our executive council. We asked for you know a bunch of cash for the first year plus staffing. Um, and so we, we're running it out of OPEX, um, and it's, it's working really well. It was easy to uh, go through as, as part of our classroom experience for our students. Yeah. Were there any, any challenges for you guys, Peter, or is it kind of part of the course? For, for us, it worked great in a sense that we tried the traditional, I mean, more traditional approach and then pay up, you know, capex, yes. And, yes. Uh, pay up front, and there was always a problem with uh, finding the number of faculty who really want to engage with this type of um, uh, project. And uh, it was difficult to estimate the number of students that you know uh, who right. will use it. So that you know the 
the, it was difficult for the, for, from the financial perspective to make a decision because we couldn't get the number, and that's all yeah, our so, financial director always wanted to tell so, me the number. Yeah. Effectively, you've got it's the pay-as-you-go element, so you yeah. can just use a little bit to get started. Yeah. Ones that being big. Um, I'm kind of curious, what, what do you guys view as the biggest challenges? Uh, you know, when you did this process, obviously we worked together a lot, so I know some of the challenges. But uh, I would love to kind of say, Peter, you know, uh, maybe from your perspective, start. Um, what What do you kind of view as as the big learnings for you going through this? From our perspective, the, the the biggest challenge was the maybe the approach that we that because of the approach that we took, we wanted faculty to to drive this project yes. more. Yes. And uh, it's not that easy to find uh, you know the the volunteers yes. <laughs> to do it because yeah. everybody is busy and you know they have more traditional way of doing things. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, once we uh, got a few people on board now it becomes very popular good so effectively that kind of finding an owner uh, somebody who's motivated mm -hmm. and uh, agree so our, our biggest challenge was actually with um, our cybersecurity program and they're very much interested in kind of owning the entire process and providing the solution and we implementing the way we set up this this process in this project team was to act as the startup that did A to Z Right? We, we leveraged our faculty for what they were really good at, the learning lessons and teaching and the education piece. Um, and then we were, we were designed and we were supposed to be the experts in the technologies piece. And um, all of the other departments were very willing to do that and like, hey, get this off my plate, that's fantastic. Although when you're dealing with folks who do this for a living in cybersecurity, they want to keep their hands on it. That was actually our biggest challenge. I mean, there's you know, some little technical things here and there, but um, those get worked out. It's the, it's the people part that was a, a challenge for us. Interesting, interesting. So you think if, that, if that's something where uh, you, looking back, you should have engaged that process sooner, or were there ways that could have helped that? Or So I, there, there are some things that could have helped. The, the program is in transition itself. Um, you know, and being a little bit, having a little bit more runway with the team, uh, the cybersecurity folks, I think would have helped. But we got the green light for this project in uh, end of June. Yeah. So from between June and Aug the end of August, we had to hire 10 people, solution the 14 or 15 classes that we were going live in, provision, create the integrations. So we didn't have a lot of time to spend with the, with the department. So we're now going back as we have a little bit more time as we're ramping up our next 15 or 20 courses for um, the, the spring to engage them and bring them part of the, the process. They're coming kicking and screaming on the, on the requirements, not solutions. Okay, got it. Um, so if anybody has uh, questions, uh, feel free to come up. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to ask whatever questions I like. Uh, <laughs> so we'll keep going that way. Uh, what, uh, what features do you guys want to see next in workspaces? Where do you, where do you feel like there's some innovation uh, to be driven? If this, is, if this is free reign, that's great. Um, I would love to see the ability for us to be able to have dynamic uh, RAM and CPU allocations. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that would be a fantastic thing for us. We have a couple programs that you know, need more than the RAM that we can do today. We have yeah. a couple programs that we could dial back a little bit yeah. um, and be able to do that as students go on from course to course. Because our, our approach is that once you're a student enrolled in a program that uses this, this workspace is yours for life yeah. as a student. Yeah. And so, yes, the um, the, you know, there are classes that will require more CPU and more RAM. We'd love to be able to yeah. take advantage of that. You know, that raises a, qu a question for me. I don't know for either of you guys. What do you guys do for retention of, of workspaces? Uh, I mean, how long do they stay around? Do you do you turn them on and turn them off? 
we don't have those businesses, okay, businesses yet. So we're, we're up, yeah. only in our first semester, so if we keep them around on on off, we're fine. So the semester is about to end, so we are kind of getting to that that yeah. point, and we um, because we in our case is kind of the workspaces are dedicated to a particular mm -hmm. um, class, then we're, we're terminate those. Got it. And then so these are kind of different approaches. You've got a class-focused workspace, yeah. you've got a, a student-focused yeah. workspace. If we had the ability to do, in like in the AC2 world, take it up, basically the Omni, take it offline if a student's not enrolled in class, and then bring it back online if they re-enroll, because it's not uncommon for our students to take a semester off in the process. Right. So going beyond uh, just the auto-stop workspace, Correct. actually kind of cold storing it somewhere. Correct. Okay. Good feedback. Yeah, got a question. But I do have two questions. Yes. Uh, what are you doing for um, operating system patch management? Are you leveraging um, AWS workspace patch management, or are you doing it on your own? So we are doing it on our own. Um, we are a BYOL or a bring your own license customer. We're running um, a Windows 7 native image in the in the workspace, and um, we have our kind of uh, weekly uh, patch process that we. Uh, take advantage of. We're running our own uh, WSUS servers um, and patching and approving patches as we go through. Okay. And the other part of that is um, what are you doing for application deployment within this environment? Because mm -hmm. obviously you don't want to build all of your applications into every single image. Right. It's a kind of a waste of space for the same image for everybody. Yeah. So there's a course of applications that we've defined, stuff like Chrome, Office. Um, those are part of the core image that we deploy to a student. Um, most of our introduction courses, that's the only thing they actually need. So as a student enrolls, and we get that enrollment system, that enrollment information from our um, learning management platform, we provision them within a group that gives them access using WAM to the applications that are assigned to that course. So if you're in a Cybersecurity 610 course, these are the set of applications that you get access to. You get assigned an Active Directory to that group, and WAM provisions that information, those applications to your so, uh, WAM is the Workspaces Application Manager, yeah. uh, for those who haven't seen it, part of the product set for Workspaces, for app packaging and distribution to Workspaces. Okay, yeah. awesome. Thank you. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Another question? Do you have any uh, challenges with uh, software licensing at all? And how did you uh, tackle that? So I think, you know, when you're installing virtual environments or cloud environments, some vendors are very uh, happy with that. Do you want to go first? Well, so um, I think everybody who <laughs> ever tried to <laughs> yes. work with, uh, with a cloud uh, solution, not necessarily uh, AWS, but any, that is, uh, that is the, one of the biggest challenges. So you have to work with the vendor, and, uh, you know, and um, this is completely independent from the platform that you, that you use. Uh, but uh, obviously, yeah, we, we, we had the challenges with the software. And, you know, some companies are very difficult to work with, and some companies are um, okay. And um, more and more companies, actually, they, uh, they're uh, interested in this type of uh, deployment. So. And for us, we have any piece of software that's used by any faculty, staff, or student associated with the university for academic use actually needs to go to a EULA approval process. Um, so, you know, obviously kind of that process is a little bit cumbersome for us at the moment. Um, but we have a kind of 
large operating system vendor that we had a problem with, um, that we had some challenges related to our uh, licensing agreement that it took a few weeks to get worked out to add in clauses to allow us to run Project Invisio um, for student use in a cloud environment. Um, they will make it work for you if you push them hard enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, I also I'll comment that we have uh, from the workspaces uh, side uh, with workspaces application manager, uh, you can buy applications through the marketplace, through AWS marketplace, and those are all licensed by the month typically. Um, so those are kind of we've predefined licensing arrangements that work with those vendors. Microsoft is one of those. I mean, <laughs> guessing that's maybe who you mean. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft is one of those, uh, and uh, there are a lot of applications there that are licensed in a way that's very consumable uh, for the cloud. And we do actually leverage some of those for our course. You know, there was no need for us to do PDF management. Like, you know, yeah. we just use the apps that were there, yeah. or Putty, or you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hi. Uh, what differences in cost have you seen relative to your previous virtualized desktop environment, if yeah. whatever that may have been? Yeah. Whoever. So, so uh, the for us the big difference. Uh, I not necessarily want to say the number, the number, but uh, <laughs> but the big difference is that with work, uh, when we initially looked at the workspaces, there was no out, um, auto uh, auto post uh, feature, yeah. and that we kind of were on the fence. Uh, one as soon as the we you know uh, as soon as we took advantage of that, the cost uh, dropped significantly because we simply don't pay for what we don't use. And, uh, and um, you know, other vendors, they will charge you. For, even if they have pay-as-you-go model, they will charge you per month. But like I said, our students don't use the, the, those uh, works, the desktops the same way the corporate work uses. So, you know, we pay only for this very small uh, times uh, when they use the applications that they need. So that the cost is, is, is much lower. And we're, we're also using the AutoStop model, but what we found is the, sol the solution that we created was much more usable and user-friendly, that our students wanted to use it more um, based on our usage statistics. So there's any kind of consumable product, right, your costs are going to go up if they're using it more. But the trick is they're using it more, they're happier with it, they're more likely to enroll. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of benefits associated with it um, that we'll be looking at as we, as we move forward in time. Yeah, and uh, the, with AutoStop, obviously, if, if they get to that point where they're exceeding that threshold, uh, you can convert from AutoStop to Always On anytime during the month, uh, and then uh, we prorate the back half of that month. So uh, uh, you can optimize that as much as you want to via APIs. Well, and our average user was using it eight hours a month, uh, the pre previous VDI solution. Now they're using 30 hours a month. Yeah. So, um, you know, they like it. Yeah, that's right. Do you have all of your virtual that your virtual desktops in the same region? In the same region? The same region. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We certainly see customers with a lot of diversity, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi. Two questions. Um, if I understand, well, you can just answer. Would this solution be appropriate for um, a self-paced lab environment, meaning? person had access to an account where they could start up instructions on how to run a lab and then they could start up a workspace on demand. In other words, not scheduled, but just basically used as needed. And if that were the case, do you basically provision a workspace per student or can they be auto-spawned in some manner? 
so you could use the API, and I'll defer to you in just a second. We can we can use the API to to spawn a spawn a workspace. Certainly, there's a startup time, there's a ramp time that it takes uh, to get a workspace to fully working order, um, and that can range. I've seen it, you know, really really quick, you know, in, in five minute time period to, um, you know, about this stated time, which is about 20 minutes. So. Um, if you're doing a self-paced lab, I, I would imagine a student might get a little frustrated with it if that, they have to do that every time they're going through. Um, there are maybe some other offerings. AWS has EC2 instances that are um, behind kind of an auto-scale group that might be able to support that in, in, in some way. Um, but getting into the requirements, I'm sure we could come up with a, a solution that would work for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll just echo the same thing, which is that the idea with AutoStop works is workspaces to try and address that uh, use case, so that you've got uh, when they stop using it, it uh, it goes, uh, it pauses, uh, and then uh, gets stored. There is a storage fee per month, effectively, so that is the the kind of downside there uh, versus uh, spinning them up. Um, you know, we've had people do kind of exotic things where they'll uh, they'll have pre-provisioning and shared usernames and passwords and kind of kind of try and work around that to have a pool of, of uh, available workspaces ahead of demand. Um, but broadly, uh, we've just seen people using AutoStop for it. Oh, great, thanks. And the second question, would this solution be appropriate for applications that require high-end graphic support, like high-end CAD CAM systems? I can speak to that if you want. I don't know if you're. Wow, there's an exciting announcement that Nathan. <laughs> uh, well, certainly. So we uh, we offered uh, starting last week. We started offering uh, support for GPUs. Uh, so uh, graphics workspaces launched, uh, available by the hour. Uh, and uh, I, we think, from what we're hearing from customers, a pretty big revolution in, in not having to go buy uh, workstation class hardware uh, and just spin it up when they need it uh, and use it. So great. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, that uh, dovetails great into the next question. So yeah. with the recent announcement of the HTML5 Canvas-based interface, I was kind of curious how you expect that to potentially affect your use cases. This is, I'm sorry, the HTML5. The HTML5 Canvas, the, you don't need a native client anymore. Yeah, yeah. You just oh, have yeah, a web browser, yeah, yeah. and you actually have the desktop in your browser. Yes. Being able to interact with it. So I was just curious. Like, that was a recent announcement. Like, yeah, so, for, by, so are you mean the workspaces, uh, yes. web access? Yeah, so the web right. access, just to uh, be pedantic, the web access stuff is based on WebRTC uh, and uh, not, not native HTML5. Uh, so WebRTC enabled browsers are where it's running right now. So that's Chrome and Firefox. Right, so I was just curious how that affects your use cases. Yeah. Well, you guys are 100% dependent upon yeah. it, right? We are 100% dependent on the web, or, uh, the, the web client, the web access from AWS right now. I, I need to learn a little bit more about the particular announcement. Okay. So. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I, I want to say a lot of thanks to uh, Greg and Peter for coming up and uh, uh, taking questions and pot shots. So. Uh, uh, certainly, if you guys have any uh, questions uh, after the uh, session, we'll be up here. Uh, remember to complete the evaluations. Uh, and then uh, there are a number of other workspaces sessions that are scheduled uh, following this uh, for the remainder of uh, reInvent. So thanks a lot, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.